hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. So you want to get into real estate investing, but you just can't seem to make the leap? There's a good chance you're making it harder than it needs to be. On today's Queer Money episode number 382, we're talking again with Tom Brittany, another frugal gay, about the initial steps all new real estate investors should take before buying their first property, how to overcome the fear of making that first investment decision, and how Grinder's one of his favorite <laughs> tools for making the right real estate investment decision for him and his husband. Now, on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome Tom Brickman of The Frugal Gay back to the Queer Money Podcast for interview number two. (laughs) Thank you for bringing me back. I was nervous after the last one, but this one's exciting. Yeah, we're hoping you can do better this time. <laughs> I, second choice Actually, of charm for me. Yeah. That episode that you were on about reselling was one of our top episodes of 2022. There, were, there was a lot of interest in that episode. I think people are interested in money-making topics. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, it's it's how I got to where I am. And that's how we're talking about what we're talking about today. Let's hope that this one connects as well, because I think that this one's just as exciting and just as rewarding. Yeah. So let's start off with setting a baseline. The real estate market has completely changed (laughs) since this time last year. We've had like seven rate hikes, actually maybe the eighth one now, because they just raised the rate again, quarter point a couple of days ago. So what is your sense of the national real estate market? Here's my story, and this is how I answer this question always. I bought my first property in 2004. It was a duplex. I lived in the ugly unit. I rented out the downstairs unit, and I paid 6.875% interest, and the deal made sense. And I bought it for $90,000. It fell all the way to $45,000 in 2009, but it still cash flowed just the same that it did the first day and just the same that it does right now because I still own that property. So If the numbers still make sense, I'm still all in. I bought a property just last week. If the numbers don't make sense, then I'm out. And yes, it's getting to where a lot of stuff isn't making sense that a year ago definitely would have made sense. But this is where opportunities lie because people are like, "Eh, I'm going to tap out. The rate's too high. But if it's a great property and I want control of it and the interest rate's 8% at this moment, then I'm going to do whatever I can to get that property under my control. And hopefully when it comes down in a year or two, I can refinance and make it work. Yeah. So that kind of gives us a glimpse of what we're going to talk about today is trying is sort of shifting the money mindset that there are more opportunities out there than what most people might think are available. And also maybe looking for some, as you call trash that you can turn into treasure. Are there particular markets right now that are particularly appealing to you and some that you would definitely steer away from? I mean, I, I've stuck with my two markets out of comfort. When I went over to Cleveland, Ohio, I lost a lot of money. I stick with Texas and I stick with Ohio because I have teams in place there. And that is where I am comfortable. And whenever I get a DM about this place in Kentucky or this place in Georgia, 
I think it's a great deal, but it's not a great deal for me because I don't have established roots there. And I know what happened when I went to Cleveland and it didn't end well. I sold it on my birthday and I was so excited to write that check (laughs) to the title company. It was like the best birthday gift ever to get rid of that money pit. So I'm sticking where I am in these two markets for right now. You bring up a good point that, because I I still see and hear of Cleveland being a, a great spot for real estate investors, but you bring up a good point that just because a city is listed as a good or a bad spot doesn't mean that it's necessarily good all over the place or bad all over the place. You're still having to go house by house, story by story to find out whether or not it makes sense for you. And if if the right property were there in Cleveland at the right price and it just made sense, then I would figure it out. But venturing back in for a meh type property, I'm <laughs> I'm sticking where I'm at because I'm I know the the ways of the road on on these two and can usually get these done relatively easy. So what are the metrics that you'd look at to determine if a property is right for you? Metrics that I use, obviously the 1% rule, which that is when you rent it is 1% of the purchase price, what you're going to collect and rent or more. So, you know, if I bought a $100,000 house, I want to rent it for at least $1,000 to hit that And that's a a super basic one, but that's always the one where I start with that. And then there's cases like the one that I just purchased in Dallas. It doesn't really quite hit that, but once you factor in everything, it makes sense still. So it was a go, even with the higher interest rate. Mm -hmm. And I know what they sell for in that neighborhood. So I also know that, yes, I may only cash flow on that one. I think I'm at $314 a month and and you guys would say well what if something goes wrong what if you need to replace that furnace and it's three thousand dollars that's your cash flow for the year but i know that that neighborhood in particular because i've already owned over there and sold a property over there has huge appreciation in in texas and you don't get that in ohio so i wouldn't make this move on a toledo property maybe in different parts of ohio like columbus or or certain pockets of cleveland but where I'm at in Dallas, and since I've already sold one in this neighborhood, it made sense. So 1%, super easy. You can figure that out quickly. Beyond the 1%, other metrics are rentability. And a lot of people skip over that. They're like, oh, this is a great deal. I'm going to buy this property. And a lot of times, realtors love to put inflated numbers on their listings as far as this could rent for 2800 but then you pull up like a... a rentometer or a certain, you know, rental tool to figure out what stuff actually rents for. And you're like, no, $2,800, this says 1900. So you got to double check because yes, in a a dream world, it could rent for 2800. But in a real world, I know I'm going to get 1900 for it. So I'm checking rents. I'm checking neighborhood grades. Is it somewhere that people want to be? This is crazy, and I debated even bringing it up, but I've been doing this since 2015 where I'll open my Grinder app while I'm looking at properties, and I want to see what the grid looks like by me. This helps me gauge, do I want to be in this neighborhood or is it scary? And I know that that sounds wild saying something like that for looking for real estate, but I've used it since 2015, and I had bought a property in 2017, And I was more against moving and my husband's like, no, let's do it. And we were down there. We were looking the day after we closed and we were trying to talk about work 
And I'm like, you know, I don't really want to live down here. And we pulled up the grinder app and he's like, no, this grid looks good. He's like, I think we could do okay here. I think, you know, cause we, we were in the gay neighborhood in Dallas at the time. So we were moving out of that little safety net and into a very different neighborhood. So that's another gauge that I've used over the years if I want to buy in that area or not, which I know sounds crazy. Can you just share just a little bit more? What do you mean by that? Because I think some people might be saying to themselves, okay, does that mean it's full of hot men? Or does that mean that it's actually has a larger number? I mean, like, you know, some areas or some cities, you pull up grinder and the nearest person is 25 or 50 miles away, right? So what are you talking about here when you say you pull it up and it's clean? Yeah, so there are other gays in the neighborhood. So that's a, a safety thing. Okay, there's others here. Are there a lot of escorts, which you can tell real quick on your grid who, who's looking for escorts? Are there people looking to party with the capital T? You know, all of these stereotypes, but you know, you pull up that app and you look at your grid and the closest people next to you. And if you just have a whole bunch of party people and no one within two miles, then yeah, I don't want to live there because I don't have anyone else around me. I don't know if it's safe to walk the dogs here. But just recently, I was looking at a property up in Michigan and I pulled it up and I'm like, oh, there's gays 654 feet away, you know, and that, okay, I feel comfortable here. It may look a little sketch on the outside, but I know that there's others in the area and I'll message people. I'm like, do you like living here? And usually I'll get blocked, but there's the few <laughs> that are like, yeah, I've lived here for three years. You know, there's one. So I think that it is a tool that our community has, and it's kind of a little secret weapon. I mean, there's a million different hookup apps, but that's just the one that I don't even know how long I've had it on my phone, but it's one of those things that I'll pull up and I'll use when I'm house hunting, which sounds crazy. It's interesting you bring this up because I don't know how many years ago it was that we heard this, but Barbara Cochran said, if you're looking to invest in real estate or buy in real estate, follow the gays. And she literally said that, follow the gays. And I think that there's there's probably a number of reasons for that, right? We, for a long time, have been known as a community of people who oftentimes will go in and fix up properties and make them very appealing, curb appeal especially. And that helps with the property values. And that's that helps with appreciation. I'm going to jump back to something you were talking about earlier which I think kind of lends itself to this conversation. You were talking about the numbers, and then you said, in Dallas, I would buy this particular property because I know that the home values in that area were doing well. Whereas in Ohio, I probably wouldn't do that because... And so I think what you're talking about here is that the one of the pieces of advice that you give your clients is to determine whether or not you want to go for cash flow or appreciation. Can you just kind of maybe talk a little bit about that, especially with this idea that over the last two to three years, we've seen home prices in a lot of places rise dramatically, right? I mean, places like Boise, Idaho, where we saw homes go up by 60% in one year and 40% the next year. So these are homes that are gone have gone up by over 100% in two to three years. Does that still make sense? Does appreciation still make sense to be looking for? 
Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. I mean, there are investors that do stuff strictly on appreciation. I'm not there. I want to make something out of it in case that appreciation doesn't come back or we're in a cycle and it's the bottom of the cycle and the values dropped off dramatically. But I, you know, I, I'm i in both markets where Dallas has, I have a tiny bit of cash flow, but a whole lot of appreciation in general over the past. I've been buying in Dallas since 2009 now. And Toledo, like the property I bought in 2004, I still own it. And I bought it for $90,000. I've put a lot of money into it over the years. And if I went and threw a sign up in front of it today, it would probably be 110. So it really doesn't have that staggering appreciation like a Dallas or like a Austin, Texas, or one of those markets that has just seen the extreme growth. So I typically go after, and the reason I invest in Ohio is because I feel it's a underappreciated market. There's a lot of big homes. There's a lot of nice homes that I could never rebuild down here for fifty or $60,000. And I see value in it. I cash flow from it every month. I, I make them very nice homes. I make them habitable. Both the properties that I've been working on now were both out of commission and not rentable for the past few years. So they're both going back onto the market. So I think that Doing stuff strictly on speculation and appreciation is risky, and I'm not there, and I wouldn't do that. Do I think ignoring an appreciating market just because it doesn't cash flow isn't a mistake? Yes, because I think that you do want to own properties in Dallas you do, or other, and I'm using those because I live there, but these appreciating markets, do I think you should ignore? Absolutely not, but I don't think that you should just bank on that going up 100% again because it's going to get to a point in like Boise, Idaho, where you're just priced out no one can afford anything there right do you think now is a good time with all that said do you think now is a good time to be a first-time property investor or would you suggest maybe waiting to see what the market does in the next couple months so i would not suggest waiting to see what the market does in the next couple months because what if we go from eight percent to nine percent on interest if you understand your numbers if you understand what you're investing in. And I work with clients who who really go at it blindly and buy these properties sight unseen. And then they come to me to try and help them clean up a mess that they caused. So I can't stress enough. You want to understand what you're investing in. I know that it's a pain in the butt, but I know when I worked with you guys, I'm like, you need to understand Toledo before you invest in it. And yes, you had to take a early flight on a snowy weekend and come check it out. But I think that it's important that you understand. And some investors are like, no, fly by the seat of you. You don't need to see. And I get that. And once you've been there, like I, I have a, another client who's in that market and they came and they invested and they bought one and now they're buying the second one, but they understand the market. So they understand, okay, I don't want to buy over here. This makes sense over here, but understand where your money is going. When I have clients who are like, I've spent a hundred and $30,000 on this property that I've never seen and I keep pouring more money into it and I haven't collected anything. I'm like, you did not do your homework. And that's, you know, where I see a lot. And you know what, when I went to Cleveland, I was cocky. I, it, I was 23 and I didn't do my homework. I didn't have a team. I didn't understand the numbers. 
I didn't even have a proper down payment. I remember it was a very tiny down payment. And I remember sitting, this is 2005, I was sitting at the closing table signing the application for the property right then, because that's just how it, you just floated under the radar back then. And mm-hmm. that's why we had a financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. <laughs> so I think if you understand what you're doing, yes, it's a great time. But that's the key is understanding. And you can start with something as simple as making a Zillow watch list and just watching what things are actually selling for in this neighborhood. So you're not the one that gets taken advantage of. And when they throw up a $500,000 house, you're like, no, nothing in that neighborhood sells for more than 350. And you don't get handed a polished turd, which one of my clients just got (laughs) handed a really crappy flipped house that none of the guts were taking care of. They put some fancy floors in and some nice light fixtures and called it a day. And for 15 months, they've been cleaning up that mess. Jeez. That's too bad. All right. So one of the the direction that we want to go with this episode is to help those who are looking for investment opportunities, who have considered getting into real estate, but who are hesitant for some reason. We want to help them, you know, cross that cross that bridge, so to speak. So, what are the common reasons that you find with people that you've worked with for why they're hesitant with making their first purchases? It's too expensive. There's a lot of unknowns. The rates could go up. The rates could go down. What if it's less in the fall? What if it's less in the in the spring? And I understand all that. And have I paid too much for certain properties over the years? Absolutely. That one in Cleveland is one of them. However, I'm not going to undo all the home runs that I've done because I had a couple strikeouts along the way. And that's one thing, you know, people will be like, well, I heard my friend Sally bought this and she lost all this money and she didn't do this. I think that it's a way that we as a community can build wealth and we don't have to be a community of renters and we don't have to be living paycheck to paycheck. And that's, I I know you did an episode with Barbara and that's why I love, you know, working with her and talking with her because I feel inspired. And that's a common answer that I get is that it's not the right time. It's, I heard about this person who lost money. I don't understand. I don't have a down payment. I have debt. It's hard. I mean, there's a million different excuses that hit my DMs daily. And I mean, even even today, I was getting a DM from someone and they're like, well, I'm I'm strapped on cash. I want to just sell this rental property. Would you sell it? And I'm like, no, it's paid off. Why, why are you selling a paid off asset that's paying you every month? I get that you don't have cash at the moment, but I would explore other options instead of just taking the absolute easiest route and just selling a property. Yeah. So it's, it's funny that you bring that up. I'm, when we told almost everybody who said we were going to get into real estate investing, they all had their nightmare stories of, oh, I heard this this person had this nightmare or this happened to that person. Are you sure you want to do all that? And it's like everybody was was, was very protective of us diving into it. But And I guess you know we've only started this journey, so it, the nightmare could come. Yeah. But I just thought it was very interesting how people were so ready to just like squash the idea but without even them having personal experience themselves. Yeah. I think that that's that's probably one of the the things that you investors face, right? Is what kind of investment should I be in? And I do this on Twitter from time to time. I post this question, what's a what's a an investment that a lot of people think is a passive investment when by passive investment, an investment you don't have to put a whole lot of work into to be able to actually make money off of. And a lot of people say real estate. And I think that's because there are these 
and maybe HGTV is partly to blame for this, but I think that there are some people out there preaching how, oh, you buy this house and you don't have to do anything. And all of a sudden you're getting a thousand dollars a month and you just go to take that money and you can go off and live in Mexico or you can travel the world or do whatever. You don't have to do any work, which is bullshit, right? It's complete bullshit, right? Anybody who says that is, is hiding a lot to try to sell you something. And I think that a lot of people are hesitant to get in because they do find out that the liars have been out there convincing them that this is a great thing to do and they can just have the money come flowing in when they and then they realize okay i do actually have to put some work into this it's not like buying a stock and just watching it go up in value or getting a dividend it's actually very different so i think that there have been some bad players in the market who have made it kind of maybe confusing for many people to get into real estate. Are you and, missing Carlton Sheets, David? No, I'm, I mean, I just, uh, I do think about there's a lot of people on HGTV and places like that saying how easy it is. And maybe it the, has been easy for them in some uh, occurrences, but not everyone. <laughs> how about the TikTok reels of the people sitting on the beach in Mexico and they're collecting rent? And I, I think that there's unrealistic expectations out there. And that's part of why my brand has grown because I tell you when I lose $22,000 or when I have a really expensive month and I had to do a furnace here and sidewalk here and do this and do that. And a lot, especially on social media, present it as uh, I'm sitting on the beach in Mexico. So that's what people want is to sit on the beach in Mexico. But reality, and again, you can have a 100% hands-off property manager. You could do syndications and invest in that. And I want to explain what that is. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Syndication is like where you invest. I just was looking at a syndication. It's a 300 unit property here in Dallas. And the minimum investment in that is 5,000 for the one that I was looking at. And I'm investing that 5,000 and I get paid a quarterly dividend from it. And then after three to seven years, they'll sell it off and I get the appreciation from it. I get all the benefits of owning real estate without actually taking phone calls from tenants or stepping foot onto the property. So I think that that's an option for the people that just want to sit on the beach in Mexico. But when you are house hacking like you guys are, or you are starting out and you're paying these exorbitant amounts in rent, it just makes sense to go after something. You know, a lot of times when people are like, do you think I should rent or buy? And then my first question is, how much is your rent? And they're telling me, you know, I'm paying 1700. And then I'm like, well, just looking where you're at and you're paying 1700, And yes, you'd have more bills because you'd have to maintain the house, but we could find you a place and you'd be paying $1,400 and it would be your property. And, you know, that $1,400 would be an investment every month. So I think that there's a lot of people saying a lot of different things and it's hard to decipher what's real and what's not because these reels look fantastic. But (laughs) I think that, you know, spreading the word and being as realistic as possible is helpful. So when you have a tenant text you about they broke the towel bar and you have to go replace it it happens it's part of landlording and it happens every you know i start a week with i'm going to take care of this this and this but priorities come up and floods happen and branches fall on houses and that is all part of it and that's you know how i was able to leave my nine to five because i knew that i could generate income this way 
And that was key for me was I didn't want to go work for another employer. I wanted to build something myself. And I built my portfolio of real estate to pay me so I didn't have to go to a employer that drained me anymore. Right. So we talked about reasons why people are hesitant to make the first purchase, right? Rates might go up or down, right? Property values might go up or down. All these variables that are outside of your control. What are some legitimate reasons that preclude people from taking that first step? Or are there none, no legitimate reasons not? If you're not financially sound, if you don't understand how money works, if you are habitually late and avoider and the home is going to be foreclosed on, if you just have a lump sum and you, you want to throw it in, I think that that would be a reason to stay away from it. Understanding how money works is key. If you can't pay bills on time, you know, you're not there where you should be investing in real estate. If you feel like you really can't maintain it, then maybe you look at something like a condo where the outside is maintained and there's different real estate classes where it would make sense for someone who can't, you know, doesn't want to do outside maintenance, travels a lot. But in general, I think that there's really no big reason why people should completely stay away from it unless it just is devastating to enter. Mm -hmm. So you say that you want to help investors shift their mindset from seeing the actual opportunities. Where did that come from? And what do you mean by that? Shifting of mindset. So a lot of people, and, and this is another HGTV thing, they see these fixers and they're like, oh, I can go in and fix. And I had a coaching call recently and they're like, well, I want to do the design. And I'm like, you're missing all the other stuff to get to the design. And I get that you want to do the design, but then I also want to manage your expectations with the down payment that you have. That design's going to be limited with what you can go for. So you said you want to help investors shift their mindset from seeing opportunities that are out there. So what do you mean by that? And how would you shift your mindset? Shifting a mindset is being able to see what others can't see. And I tweet this a lot with the turning trash into treasure. I bought a hoarder house. I bought a crack house. I, there were several different distressed properties, two that are under renovation in Toledo right now, that were neglected garbage houses that nobody wanted to live in. Nobody had lived in for many years. And how did I make that shift? I made it out of necessity. And I saw, hey, this is an opportunity here. This is a hoarder house that no one's lived in for at least five years, but it's a great neighborhood and it's got great bones and I can put it back together and I can generate income from this. And that came out of necessity because if I wanted to just go buy one on the street, it was 400,000 and I didn't have 400,000 to invest into that property. So I'm like, hey, I can get into this much nicer neighborhood for 200,000 if I take on this fixer up project and I don't have to settle for someone's ugly color of granite or someone's ugly, you know, finish or even plastic tile because I've done it all myself. <laughs> Not plastic tile. <laughs> I had Folks, to, we're I laughing had because, because we purchased the home we purchased. We thought it had porcelain tile on the walls in the bathroom, but it actually has plastic, plastic tile. <laughs> My client I is closing on a property this week and it has the same plastic tile. And as we were doing the punch list last night of what he's going to do on it. I'm just like, the guys would be so proud. They're not the only ones with this plastic <laughs> tile and we're leaving it over in his. Maybe it's a new he's, trend that people yeah. like. He's, he's like, I'm going to tear it all down. I'm like, it's going to get real expensive real quick yeah. the second you start tearing that plastic tile down. So it looks clean. Let's keep it. But it's actually identical to yours. And when I saw it last night, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to to tell that for you guys. <laughs> so you said that you shifted your mindset out of necessity. What was the source of the necessity? 
Why did you um, need to buy a property? And what if, what do people do if they don't have that same sense of urgency? It started in college because I was paying $375 in rent and I really didn't have enough to make everything. So I bought a house and I house hacked and I rented out the downstairs for 600. I lived upstairs and it was $138. So that's, you know, I forced myself into that position where I was getting the lower rent and I was finding ways to keep saving or investing my money instead of pouring it into rent. So that was the necessity. And you know what? I could afford the $375 at the time. This is back in my college days when I worked at The Gap. But it was just easier to go that route. Even fixing a furnace in the middle of winter or replacing a window or fixing a towel bar that the tenant pulled off the wall. But that's how I, that was my solution. And that's, you know, that's why I did eBay too. It was, I needed to find an easier way to pay for books. So I started selling these purses to pay for these books and I wanted to pay less for rent. So that was the necessity was I didn't want to struggle as much. And I wanted to get the two ply instead of the paper thin <laughs> toilet paper. And this was my solution. I hate the paper thin toilet paper. So do I. I don't even think it saves money because you have to use so much extra toilet paper. Right. <laughs> you go through the roll faster. Preach. Yeah. So, so that sounds to me then that the need, the necessity was more sort of an internal thing saying that I don't necessarily want to work for somebody. I want to apply toilet paper. I want to be able to live in better conditions or have a better quality of life. That's it's sort of, it was sort of an innate thing for you. A hundred percent. Yes. With the people that you work with, how do you, do you find that they have that same level of necessity or do you have to help them uncover what their why is? I think sometimes they have it and they don't even know that they have it. And sometimes yeah, giving them a little nudge. Like yesterday when I was talking to that client with the plastic tile, he's like, well, this is an issue and this is an issue and this is an issue. And I'm like, you're looking at this as not an investment. You're looking at this as your forever home, not as an investment. And I'm like, this is a rental. So I think a little nudge and showing them, you know, no, this does make sense. This is a rental. This can generate you income. It's a solid property. This is what the inspection says. And some, you know, he's looking at this as I'm going to invest this amount of money and I'm going to generate this much income from it every month. And that's his goal. And that's what we're going into. And we're making lists. So as soon as it closes and it's in his name, he can start working on the property. And I think you just need a little nudge to say, yeah, this would work. This would make money or no, this wouldn't. And I know when we were looking at properties last year, with David, I remember he came and saw one of mine and I just remember he was looking around with this kind of disgust and I'm like, David, it's a rental. We're, we're working on it right now. It's going to look a lot better. And I know that you guys have seen some of the projects that I've done in the before, middle and after stage and it, it'll get there. And my goal with any of these, and as we were making the punch list with the client last night, I'm like, your number one is priority. Your number one priority is safety. Once we've got safety knocked out and you've got your carbon monoxide detectors, your smoke detectors, your extinguisher, then you move on to value add and what makes the most sense and where's your money going to go the furthest. And his bathroom was a hot mess. So that was the majority of our, our punch list was this is the next priority. And when you own rentals, you know, I set a CapEx every year for each different property. And, you know, this is what I'm doing at this property each year. So I think helping people see that versus eh, it has ugly wallpaper. It has this color. I don't like this. The door is ugly. 
that's where people get stuck and really can give up really quickly because the stuff that is in their range is ugly and it needs a little bit of work. And I've always been there and willing to put in the work when necessary. I think you bring up a good point. And I th- this is something that you you mentioned. I, yeah, I did. I was a little surprised at some of the things that you showed me when we were originally looking for homes here in Toledo. And I think that it's also a tendency for most people when they're looking for a property, they are trying to make that property be the home that they would want to live in. And it's an important thing to remember that when you're buying a home as a rental, you're not buying it for yourself. You're buying it for someone to to live in. And in order for us to be able to bring affordability back into the market, we cannot continue to do the same thing that all these developers are doing. These developers are coming in and they're building these, these quote unquote, luxury apartments with, eh, kind of nice finishes. And then they're charging really, really exorbitant rates for these because they want to be able to get their investment out within less than 10 years. That's their goal, right? But that's not what we are as individual investors when we're going in buying these homes. We want to provide, at least that's our goal, is to provide affordable living conditions that are comfortable for people. I'm not looking to provide you with brass fixtures in the bathroom and in the kitchen. I'm not designer tile in the in the kitchen backsplash. It's like all of that stuff is a nice to have. But then if we decide to do that, we push people, we literally are pushing people out of the market. And that's why we see people struggling with home prices or with rent prices right now is because there's such a glut of these high-end finishes and high-end because people just want to make as much money as they possibly can. Completely agree. Right before this interview, I took a call and he purchased these properties back in August and it wasn't what he expected. And he called me and he's like, do you want any of these properties and started rattling off addresses? He's like, I'm trying to sell them. And I'm like, how did you get my number first? Secondly, send me the addresses because maybe I do want some of them. But I see that with people who are jumping in and not understanding what they're really getting into. And this goes back to, you know, understand where your money is going. If I'm going to put down $50,000 on something, I'm going to spend the $300 to fly there for the weekend and understand what I'm actually getting versus just blindly sending $50,000 and then paying this amount every month. So, and the other thing that I think the call before messed up on was he put his faith into this management company and they're not delivering. And this is like a reoccurring theme that I hear all the time. So if you don't do your homework and understand that market or those management companies, and there's some really small markets when people send me like, Hey, you want to go to Oklahoma and buy this $15,000 property? I'm like, who's going to manage it? Who's going to rent it? And they just see an attractive, oh, it's 15000 I can get, I can buy this in cash, I can fix it, I can do this. But then you don't have an end game of, okay, this is who's going to rent it, this is who's going to manage it, and it just gets messy. And yeah. I've done it myself, and I learned the hard way, and I've made sure to not do it again. And that's part of what, I, again, I'm doing is trying to prevent you from making those bad purchases on rough streets. So what tools would you suggest that people use to help make sure they don't make those bad purchases? Or should they all contact you? Um, No. (laughs) 
apparently if a number is public. <laughs> I was shocked with that phone call. No, please, you are welcome to contact me or DM me. But I think just building a Zillow watch list is a good tool. Zillow's calculator works. Bigger Pockets has calculators that are free on their website. There are multiple different books and strategies and courses that you can take. And I've taken some and I've been shocked by some of the things that people are saying because they're blatantly telling them to do things that I would never do because it's that. Also following those who are actually doing it and really quickly you can turn or you can figure out who is actually doing it and who's just making reels for TikTok and Instagram and not really in the game, so to speak. And that's another thing that I think people get caught up on is they see these glamorous reels and it's not realistic. So calculators, Zillow watch list. And when I say Zillow watch list, you're just building a list and starting to watch what things are getting listed for and what things are selling for. And if you want to be investing in that area. And I have done that again for as long as I've been house hunting in Dallas, because I, I don't remember when Zillow started, but as soon as I could, I was building those watch lists. And I remember running out of spaces. Zillow's like, you can't save any more houses, but they updated that a few years ago. <laughs> and don't forget to download Grinder to your phone. Right, yeah. And then when, you're, when your partner's like, why are you always on Grinder?" You can be like, I'm real estate investing. Yeah, house hunting. And then blame it on, on debt-free guys and the frugal gay. Be like, they told me to. <laughs> so you, you talk about this concept of turning trash into treasure. Again, that kind of sounds like a very HGC, HGTV kind of concept, right? But isn't that really kind of what the historically the queer community has done? You look at places like Castro, Hell's Kitchen in Denver, Capitol Hill, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, were not accepted in the white flight neighborhoods across the country. And so we moved into the neighborhood. A lot of us moved into neighborhoods where there was a higher concentration of people of color, Jewish people, Muslim people. We we were kind of grouped together with, with other folks who were kind of cast out from mainstream society. And for that reason, many of us invested in or purchased homes that were were kind of in some ways, they were trash, right? And now those are some of the most desirable neighborhoods. So do you think that this idea of turning trash into treasure is something that more queer people could and should do as a way for them to, whether it's buying a personal home, their their primary residence, or getting into investing? I think it's a great real estate hack. I think it's a great way to really propel your wealth. And if you get into the right property or the right neighborhood at the right time, and that's one of those things that I've had success with, especially in Dallas in 2017, when we bought that property right outside of downtown, it was very rough. And now it's completely done a 360 where it's all these $600,000 houses in there because they've torn down the little ones and they've put up these little luxury duplexes and I think getting in at the right time is key. And I think Barbara Cochran said it best, follow the gaze, like you already said. And I believe that. And if you look in Dallas at the nicest neighborhood, you know, they went through Oaklawn and redid Oaklawn. Then they moved down to Kessler Park and redid properties in Kessler Park. And they've made their rounds around the city. 
And yes, I think that there's huge opportunities there. So getting in at the right time is key. You know, if I just said, well, I don't want to buy anything this year because the interest rates are up, I'd miss out on one of these properties. And the property that I just bought recently, it's in one of those where I'd say about 10% of the houses are redone. And that's where my other neighborhood was, where about 10% were done when I bought. And that's why I knew that I wanted to get in there because I know when I'm ready to sell it in 10 years, it'll be at the 75, 85% have been redone and the properties will be a lot higher. So yes, I think it's been an opportunity where we've been pushed off into rougher neighborhoods and we've made them a lot nicer. And that's why whenever I put mine up for sale and I don't sell a lot, I'm a buy and hold investor. They sell over asking. It's one of the most desirable ones on the street, usually when I'm leaving them. So with all that said, what do you think the easiest path is to get into real estate investing? If you wanted to start pursuing this as a first timer? Understanding what you can and can't afford. Cause I have people that will come to me and you know, they're like, oh, I love this. And, and really they're approved for a $250,000 house. They shouldn't be sending me listings for 500,000 or understanding your options. Like I was working with a server in Los Angeles and he could house hack. And what he ended up doing was getting a one bedroom with a den property in downtown LA. And he sectioned off the den and that was his room. And he rented out the bedroom and it covered most of his mortgage and that's what he could afford. But then that got him into the market and got him started. And what he bought for 475,000 a couple years ago is now 600,000. So it's given him a foot in and figuring out a way to enter. And I think if you go in with these ridiculously high expectations, you're going to be blocking yourself out just because of your expectations. But when you go in like he did with a, this is an ideal, but this is going to get me to where I want to be. And now he has equity. That is something that people overlook with the ugly wallpapers and that. So I think the easiest path to getting started is So once you understand what you can afford, look at alternative options like house hacking, look at alternative options like syndication. Maybe you don't want to be an owner and you're good renting, you're good renting a room. Syndication will get you some exposure, get you some real estate in your portfolio with all the benefits of it without having to do anything. And there are the different investing groups where you can start with $1,000, you can start with $5,000, and that's a way to get exposure. House hacking is going to be something that I've done, something that my clients have done. And it gets you in with that lower down payment of 5%, sometimes 10%. And I've got a roommate in this room paying me $600, $800, whatever it is. And that's helping you pay it down. And I know when I applied back then, I was working at the Gap and I was making $850 an hour and they used the income from the downstairs to qualify me for that loan because I wouldn't have been able to afford that property. So Mm -hmm. house hacking is another option. You know, they will take that into consideration what you can rent that property for or what it historically rented for and they give you credit for it. So it helped my debt to income ratio. Beyond house hacking, beyond syndication, looking for one that needs the lipstick is what I call it. And looking at something, you know, hey, this isn't a great neighborhood, but it's ugly. It was, I I love to call them grandma's house (laughs) where it's got good bones but it hasn't been updated on the inside. Yeah. And you can do some of those projects as you live there because it's habitable. It's just got the ugly wallpaper. It's just got the, you know the little things that need work. So any of those would get your foot in the door and get you exposure, which is you know 
a way to start instead of sitting on that sideline and waiting for it to come to you. Yeah. Cause I, I can't think, do the work for you. Yeah. I think that's the thing is that, that there's so much hesitancy around it to getting your first property. Right. And it's kind of like coming out, right. You're really, really, really scared to come out. But once you come out to one person, you feel this sense of relief almost. And uh, well, especially, I'll say this as long as that whoever you came out to it was a good experience, right? Hopefully you came out to somebody you trusted and could confide in. But I think it's the same thing, right? We we end up then realizing, okay, I can do this. I can live this way. I can put in the work that is necessary for me to build a portfolio of assets, whether that's for some people, that's one or two. And for some people, that's 20 or 30. It depends on what your financial goals are. But right, it just allows you to, I'm going to say this, pop your real estate cherry, right? Oh, I mean, it's just, it's just, you kind of have to do it. And one of the great things is to, is to actually have somebody else in your life who has or has done it or someone who can share with you some advice when they did it themselves. Oh, this is a kumbaya moment, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So with that said, Tom Brickman of The Frugal Gay, how could people connect with you and possibly to the services that you provide if they want to learn more about investing in real estate or even maybe even take that plunge? So I have a website, thefrugalgay.com, and you can book sessions. You can do a, I have a ask me anything session. That's a group session where we talk with other like-minded individuals. So you'd connect with others that are in the same boat as you, which is also good. I am available on social media at the frugal gay 11 on Twitter, on Instagram and on TikTok. but I am most active on Twitter and my DMS are open. If you just have a one-off question or want to just talk real estate. And you have a freebie, I believe it on your website. What is it and how can people get it? I do. I have a getting started in real estate guide and that will be up and available when you sign up for my email. So, and it really breaks down the basics, but if you saw the DMs that I get on a regular basis, you'd understand that a lot of people don't necessarily understand what a duplex is or a multifamily or house hacking. So I broke it down in that guide. Nice. That's very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It was a good conversation. Hopefully it inspired some people to think a little bit more broadly about their real estate investing and maybe more will take the plunge. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for having me back. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Tom, for helping our listeners and viewers make more money. To you, our listeners and viewers, thank you for listening and viewing another episode of the Crew Money Podcast. <laughs> Here's your Crew Money takeaway. If real estate investing has been something that you've wanted to do for a while, get Tom's free checklist at frugalgay.com. Right. And then join us next Thursday as we continue this kind of real estate little bit theme here when we talk about the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city in Wyoming. And then next Tuesday, when we talk with Jason of frugal.com about his new book, Happy Money, Happy Life. It's a great book and a great interview too. Thanks Thanks and have have a great great week. week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. 
Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.